The reading this morning is John 4, 1 to 43. (laughs) Jesus talks with a Samaritan woman. The Pharisees heard that Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although in fact it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. When the Lord learned of this, he left Judea and and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sichar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews did not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would give you, he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his flocks and herds? Jesus answered, All who drink this water will be thirsty again, but those who drink the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands, and the man you, are, you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors, ancestors worshipped on the mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus declared, Believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks." God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he. The disciples rejoined Jesus. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, What do you want, or why are you talking with her? Then, leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? They came out of the town and made their way towards him. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. 
But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, could someone have brought him food? My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Do you not say four months more and then the harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Even now those who reap draw their wages. Even now the harvest, they harvest the crop for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps, is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work, and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we, have no longer, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the savior of the world. After the two days, he left for Galilee. This is the word of the Lord. Fantastic. Thanks, Miriam. That's quite a long passage. Now, Joe, is this your first sermon? No. Oh, it's not? No. Okay. You've, you're an old-timer, then. Somewhere in between. Yeah. <laughs> well, it would be really good for us to pray for Joe now. Father God, we thank you for Joe and the, the way that you've been speaking to him in, for, for this passage and the word that you've given to him. And we pray now that your spirit would rest upon him and that you would give him boldness and courage as he proclaims your truth. Good morning, everybody. <clears throat> yes, a long passage, I know. But I think it was important for us to get the context of that whole passage. Um, and maybe that's a new passage for you, and if that's so, that's fine. We're going to try and build a perspective on it. Um, but if that is something you've maybe heard a number of times, we're hopefully going to try and find something new for all of us towards the end. But right from the start, I'll say that as I was preparing and praying into this talk, I felt called to speak into where Christchurch is at right now. Not so much in a leadership or a cultural sense, but specifically in terms of our equipping as Christians, our, our equipping as followers of Christ. This was, and I can confidently now say, rather a nerve-wracking thing to come and speak to you about, but I hope that you will show me grace and you will, uh, in listening and praying into this, maybe uh, I, I would really welcome any wisdom or prophetic words you might have in response. Now, I'll come back to exactly what I mean by that towards the end. But for now, let's build that perspective. And I really do think this passage is beautiful, which is one of the reasons why I wanted it to be read in whole. And one of the, one of the ways I love to uh, explore passages like this is in a group. I'm sure many of you have a show of hands who's in a small group, a home group, a part, anything like that, pastor, whatever you call them. Lovely. If you would like to get involved in one, please speak to Anita or Dan or myself. We'd love to get you involved. But um, I've been um, a Christian for, let's say, around seven or eight years at this point. And um, I've, been, I've gone to a number of, of small groups in that time. The, the first one I attended was in Paul's front room uh, with a few other lads my age, and that was good fun. And then the next one I attended was actually in a pub. Really enjoyed that one. Um, yeah, the great food. And so if I ever see a greasy smudge in my Bible, I know it's because probably we were reading that passage, and then I had another hand in a bowl of chips or or something like that. 
But when I was in my late teens, uh, I attended a Bible study for a few years with a group of people my age. And I remember a young lad who would join us every now and again. And he was, he was very passionate about Scripture. So much so that as soon as we started any sort of a varied or nuanced discussion about a passage, what it could be meaning to us, he would take the time to boldly assert, ah, but there is only one interpretation of Scripture. Now, to an extent, I get what he's trying to say. But maybe to a greater extent, I, I think I struggled with that. You see, if we believe that Scripture is God-breathed, as it says in 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy 3.16, and alive and active, as in Hebrews 4.12, and that these depictions of Jesus in the Gospels are really true, and that he was just as much God as he was man, then maybe... Just maybe there could be a duality or even a plurality, so these multi-layered elements to the truth that we see asserted. To the words that we see written, maybe it's rather binary, rather simplistic, rather easy if we just said, oh, it only means this, as opposed to it also means this and could also, also even mean this. Take, for instance, one of the most famous passages in the Bible, uh, the prodigal son. Uh, if you don't know it, it's essentially a father who has land. He's got two sons. And one of the sons early says, I want my inheritance. I want my share of the estate now. He goes away to a foreign land. He squanders the money, gambles it away, fritters it away, and ends up essentially at the bottom of society living with pigs. He goes back to his father with tail between his legs and just hoping to work as a servant. But not, does, not only does his father welcome him back, but he welcomes him back as a son, not as a servant. Now, the other son, who was faithful and stayed that whole time, is a little bit resentful, and he's not too pleased. Now, a 15-year-old, maybe 15-year-old myself, uh, as, a, as a younger boy, I, I could read that and say, ah, I should honor my father and mother, but, you know, they'll always be there for me with that uh, unconditional love. And, you know, yeah, that's true. A 50-year-old could read that passage and say, <clears throat> God here is the father, and I'm the lost son. I've continually separated us uh, with my sin, but you know, I know he's always going to welcome me home. And that would be true as well. A 75-year-old scholar could read that and say, I'm the faithful brother who never left. Lord, I should not be resentful as I see other brothers and sisters come to know you. I should not be jealous of their rich and warm welcome into the family of God. That would also be true. So here we see a plurality, a multi-layered truth to this passage. And why wouldn't there be? God's all-powerful, all-knowing, all-loving. And so, sure, I'm more than happy for you to go away and say, you know, Joe said this on Sunday when people, you, people ask what I said. That's fine. But this is God. He's huge. He's everywhere. He's everything. So then comes the rather obvious question. If we say God might be addressing multiple things, what are those things? Well, as I took time to look uh, into this passage and also into other stories and encounters with Jesus in the Bible, I noticed three commonalities. Nature, action, and narrative. Nature, action, and narrative. Jesus' nature in each encounter we see in the Gospels is revealed in both a divine and a human way. Nature, action, narrative. Jesus' actions, either in his uh, movements or his words, he acknowledges who people are, where they're coming from, what the tradition, the law, or the culture is. And then he speaks something new into existence, either in words, in action. A new authority, a new covenant, a new culture. And then narrative. 
This is a hard one to put your finger on. I'll, I'll acknowledge that. But throughout the Bible, there are these narratives that weave their way through the stories that we read. Narrative like God using people that, for whatever reason, we don't think God would want to use. Or what we might call the cyclical redemptive arc of God raising people up to do amazing things and then them immediately falling flat on their face. Or blessings and salvation when we honor him and then separation and yet perhaps also you know, grace and mercy when we don't. So how do we find those narratives? Well, I think there's a case to say that we can find those narratives through context. Sometimes that's the context of the specific time and place, you know, what's going on there. And sometimes it's found in what we might call a literary context. Now, that's hard because that might not just be the verse before and the verse after, even though I did try to get us some context by reading the whole thing. Sorry again. Sometimes that's a previous chapter or a previous book even. And so just because it's harder for us to get our head around those narratives doesn't mean they're not there, though. So let's take these ideas, nature, action, narrative, and apply them to our passage. His nature. Well, Jesus' human nature is certainly revealed in a very relatable way. Well, it's very relatable to me. In verse 6, Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey. Wearied sounds like a very human thing to be, if you ask me. And yet he says he gives living water. I don't give living water. I also don't go around telling people everything they've ever done. Please, I'd love to uh, share and, and speak with a few of you after the service. Please don't be scared. I won't tell you everything you've ever done because I'm not God. So in both of these things, we see a human nature and a divine nature revealed. Then into his actions. Well, I think you could say narrative and action actually overlap a reasonable amount in this passage. Because Jesus and this woman of the world, they have it's a bit of an interesting interaction, really. They reference many things and seem to talk quite quickly. Uh, reading it through, it almost reminded me of, of like an old Dad's Army or Faulty Towers sketch. This sort of quick and concise dialogue, ping-ponging back and forth. And it's really quite unusual in the Gospel. It almost feels like the first time we sort of see Jesus do small talk. It's, it's, it's an interesting one. But I'm not saying this passage or this dialogue is trivial at all, not at all. But I think the punchline here where this dialogue changes pace is when Jesus begins to tell her about her life. He says, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you've had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. In verbally acknowledging where this lady is at, not only does he reveal this supernatural knowledge, his divine nature, but it also says to this lady in the exact same moment, I know everything you've ever done that could possibly, possibly bring you guilt and shame. But I want to love you regardless. And I will not judge and condemn you the same way that the world does. Then on to the narrative. Well, there are many narratives we can pick up from this passage. But remember how I said that sometimes we find narratives in the literary context and other times in the context of the time and place. Well, today I, want to, I feel called to draw us to the latter. Because if you look at an ancient map of Sychar, which is currently uh, called Nablus, if you want to look it up today, and it's buried right in the heart of Palestine, you would see a number of ancient roads all sort of hit an intersection here. Like, there's, there's a lot of them. And you would expect that if you were talking about somewhere like Jerusalem, looking at somewhere like that, you know, much more densely populated, or maybe somewhere on the coast near loads of shipping point, ports or something like that. But actually, Sychar's kind of in the middle of nowhere, and so it's somewhat unusual to, to see all these intersections. 
And yet, despite all these well-trodden roads and the traditions that surround them, which Jesus references in Jacob and Joseph, he seems to carve somewhat of a new path in walking from Jerusalem to Galilee through Sychar. It's a journey, a series of paths that consecutively people just wouldn't have taken. So then comes the question of why? Why would he do that? Well, one answer is because he wanted to change the culture of people literally walking around an entire group of people. And that would be, you know, that would make sense. That would be fair. But I think it's also, at least in part, to meet with, to encourage, and to empower this woman to go and share the good news of Christ. Jesus knowing that it would ultimately be through this interaction and the testimony that followed that many in the town would come to believe. And that, in principle at least, is actually what I think God wants to do here at Christ Church. To build on our traditions and to honor who we are as a fellowship and yet to also walk a new path with us, to encourage and build us up in new ways. We spent some time over the last few years seeking to practically equip uh, the way that we live, trying to be more like Christ through such things as our frontline series that we did a few years ago and then also uh, towards the end of last year. But I think part of this new path, this new season, as Dan now joins us, is to look at how the Holy Spirit can, conform, can transform us both as a body of Christ and as individuals. Now, some good news on that. From the end of May into mid-July, we're actually going to have a sermon series on the Holy Spirit. Well, who is the Holy Spirit? Why even is there a Holy Spirit? And what might it mean for us to earnestly desire the gifts of the Spirit? Now, I don't want you to think that my speaking to you this morning is simply a shameless plug for a coming sermon series. I promise you, I was not asked to do that. But I can assure you, I feel God challenging us to be prayerful, to prepare our hearts, to start asking questions. What is it we think when we think about the Holy Spirit? What do we think it's there to do? To start thinking about what we would love to see the Holy Spirit do in our lives as individuals, and also the lives of those around us. And I think sometimes with a new incumbent, a new vicar, we can have the tendency to place the onus for change and growth predominantly or even solely at their feet. Now, I'm not saying that Paul and Dan may as well go and take a joint sabbatical and go traipsing on a gap here around Australia or something. We very much need them, and leadership is a very important call. We've been waiting a long time to have Dan join us. But ultimately, when the spirit moves, it's the transformation that happens within and I think God is saying that this is a good time to think and to pray into this new season. What questions do you have? Where do we want to see the Holy Spirit move? Because no matter how long you've dwelt in the house of the Lord, the Spirit of God has an uncanny knack of bringing new life and new challenges to us. And so that's a call, a challenge for us all as members of Christ Church. And if you're new and would like to know why we care so much about all this, or you've been touched by anything that we've said or sung, then please stick around at the end and we'd love to share more of the vision that we have to see Jesus move in our lives. And you might say, oh, well, Joe, you're being a bit vague in this. Well, yes, because I don't know what God's going to do exactly. But we know that he dwells here amongst us. We know that he wants to move. We know that he comes to bring transformation. And so I'm going to get us to take a bit of a step of faith here. So you're going to have to bear with me for just a few seconds. I'd like you to all get your phones out. I know you probably all bought them, so I want you to get your phones out. 
and I want us to take a bit of a step of faith. I'd like us to text someone who you see in this service today, or you can just text anyone if you want to be slightly creepy or weird, or email, or if you don't have your phone with you, just pray in your head. But I want you to text someone you see in the service today, and I want you to text them whatever you're going to be praying for this week that is to do with this new season we've been talking about. So maybe I'll text Dan and I'll say, I pray for us to have a new sensitivity for God's presence in our morning services. Maybe Debbie, you can text Paul and uh, pray for him to uh, have a new spiritual gifting be revealed. Maybe Alan, you can text Adrian and ask him, oh, when's Joe going to stop and finish his sermon? It's soon, don't worry. I'll leave you to prayerfully finish these texts and prayers for one another in a minute before we go into this worship. And let's just wait and see who actually remembered to put their phone on silent. But let's pray for our leaders. Let's pray for our church, our small groups, our youth groups, and our family. And let's actually be excited for the transformation that God's going to bring in this place. Amen? We don't know what it looks like. We don't need to know what it's going to look like. But we believe that God moves. We believe that he is powerful. And so let's, let's start putting that faith into practice. I'll just pray for us quickly. Father God, we, we thank you for your testimony in Scripture and what it reveals of your nature and what you seek to do uh, on here on earth. We thank you uh, for also the testimonies of, of the Acts of the Apostles and what it looks like to, to see your spirit come and to see your spirit move in these places. And we pray for, for, for new ways to perceive you and how you're working. Help us to not limit what you do uh, by, by our own conception of who you are, by our own idea of how you can work, and let us just surrender to, to what you want to do in this place, Lord. I pray that you'll lead us in these new paths and, and bring your spirit here in power to move. Amen. Brilliant. Thank you, Joe. <clears throat> I wonder if you've sent your text message yet the thing that you're going to be praying for this week. And uh, am I right in the, the sense that this is holding us accountable for the thing we're praying for this week? So make sure you've sent a text message to somebody about the one thing that you're going to pray for this week. Maybe it's going to be a sense of uh, a renewed openness to the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. Maybe it's a sense of having your eyes opened to try and see where God is already at work in your life, in the networks that you've got, at work or in your place of leisure where you go to the gym or the cricket club or going to the rugby match this afternoon, whatever it happens to be, having your eyes opened in a new and spiritual way to kind of see where God is already at work by his Holy Spirit in the world and to notice where he might be prompting you to say, take a step of faith here. I want you to join in with what I'm doing here with your bunch of work colleagues, with your friends at the gym. I'm going to invite you all to stand now, and as uh, the band are going to come and lead us in a couple of songs, I want to encourage you to keep listening to how God might be speaking to you or prompting to you right now this morning about what he's wanting you to do in the week ahead. I wonder if maybe there's some people here that you felt something being stirred up inside you and you'd just like to pray with someone. Well, there will be some people to pray with you at the back so if you're feeling like you want to pray with someone about something because of something that's happened this morning, because of something you sense God say, just move to the back during these songs 
uh, and I'll be there, and a few others, and we, Joe will be there, and we can uh, pray with you. So let's be open to all that the Holy Spirit might want to be saying to us in this next season.